customer advocacy platform Mention Me recently hosted Advocacy Engineered, the world's leading event on the power of customer advocacy. More than 200 senior marketers from brands including Puma, Deliveroo, Charlotte Tilbury, Marks & Spencer, John Lewis, Farfetch and other big names joined us in London to hear from industry experts on how to drive sustainable business growth in the tough times ahead. This podcast series presents the live recordings of each of our speakers on the day. The one you're about to listen to features a panel discussion on nurturing advocacy throughout the customer lifecycle. I'm Pat, I'm Head of Partnerships, I mentioned me. Um, really excited to be hosting this panel today with some of our amazing partners. Um, just to give some context behind the panel, so this event is all about helping brands think advocacy first. Um, that's our mission at Mention Me, because we know when brands do this, when they think of their customers first, they treat their customers better, those customers become more loyal, they naturally talk to friends and family about the brand, and that is the best way to drive organic growth in brands. So this panel is all about what are the practical and tangible steps that brands can be implementing throughout the customer lifecycle to really drive this customer advocacy and enable brands to really leverage the power of their existing customer base to drive sustainable and scalable growth. Before I hand over to get all the panelists to introduce themselves, I also just want to highlight that we're really keen for this to be an interactive session. So what we're going to do at the end is maybe leave 10 to 15 minutes for um, questions from you guys. So I've got a few questions lined up. Um, I don't want to assume that I'm asking all the questions you want the answers to. Um, we've got some amazing experts on the panel today. So if you have a think about some questions, um, at the end, we'll, we'll get you to raise your hand. Someone from mentioned me will come over with a microphone um, and we'll make sure that you guys are leaving, leave with all, all the stuff. Um, so yeah, I'll hand over, just introduce yourself, your role and, and what your business does. Thank you. Um, hi guys, I'm Luke Jonas, I'm Chief Commercial Officer at Nest Performance and we are a paid social specialist agency, so we help e to unlock efficiency and scale across Meta and TikTok. Um, hi everyone, I'm Emily Long, I'm CEO at Genie Goals and Genie Goals are a performance marketing agency specialising in paid social, PPC and affiliate marketing um, and we deal exclusively with e-commerce brands. Hi there, I'm Andy Kalina from Oracle. I'm representing uh, Oracle CX, but uh, we call it Oracle CrowdTwist, which is loyalty with a twist, which we'll talk about later today. Uh, my name is Brian. I'm the CRO of Attentive. Uh, we're a US headquartered uh, mobile messaging platform. We work with about 6,000 brands to power SMS marketing there and recently opened an office here in London. And uh, really excited to be here. Uh, Dave Littlechild, uh, Vice President of Partnerships with uh, Emarsis, uh, the omnichannel engagement platform built by, uh, which is now part of SAP. Um, you saw my colleague Alex speak this morning or this afternoon. I've also realised I've sat by the uh, air dryer and I look like I stepped straight out of the boot, so uh, the wrong position. Anyway, thank Definitely you. Definitely shows it on purpose. <laughs> Great, thanks guys. So, um, yeah, as I said, have a, have a think about any questions at the end and we'll give you the anything you'd like to hear uh, by the end of the session. Um, so just to jump straight in, so I think what we're looking to focus on at, at the beginning of this is acquisition and how, um, you know, the first step in driving customer advocacy across the life cycle is ensuring we're giving customers the best experience from that very first touch point. Um, so opening up to Emily and Luke, um, there is a growing, I guess, distrust among some customers on how some brands and channels are using their data to target them in the first place. So, you know, I've certainly had experience where I've Googled something and then afterwards I'm on Facebook, Instagram, I get targeted everything under the sun when it comes to ads for, for weeks and weeks after. And it's really frustrating and it really creates that distrust. So how do you advise clients to ensure that they are um, 
really prioritize that customer experience from that first touch point and um, use the right touch points for content to really have that great experience from the offset. Okay. So I think in terms of like customers entering your, your experience, the first experience they have is the ads and you know, often the ad, they've never heard of you, you before. So providing like um, a seamless transition to their website, not overcooking them with loads of retargeting um, and just generally like providing the natural experience, converting them onto your website and yeah, just giving them a through the process um, fluid transition. And I think in terms of like customer advocacy and how you can use that like the top end of customer advertising is that you know your customers, your best customers, the ones that refer you, and certainly from a pay social performance perspective, you can use that data to create lookalikes of your customers that are then going to go and refer it for your customers. So you can use advocacy to help that. Um, yeah, I think it's about. I think it's about making sure you've got a really tailored message throughout the whole of the process. So don't talk to all of your customers with the same message. So you've got some customers who really know your brand and you've got some which are really it's a new brand to them and at different points in the sales process, whether they've engaged with you or been in your site or all those kind of things, it's just making sure that you are talking to them like an individual rather than one to many. So if you're talking to someone who's never heard of your brand before, introduce your brand, don't just assume they know who you are. And if you're talking to someone who's engaged in your brand at some point during the message, recognize that you know that or if they've been on if they've been on the site to be able to tailor that messaging so you really know them and i agree i think feeling like you're being followed is the wrong thing but making sure something's really tailored and useful is absolutely where you need to be i think we're going to be passing around the microphone for now i'm sorry guys um and i guess like t ensuring you're targeting the right types of customers is just as important so um you know ensuring that you're using, I mean, it's obviously been the shift from third-party data to first-party data. Um, Emily, have you, have you, what, what brands are you seeing doing the best way of navigating that shift of using first-party data to ensure that brands are targeting customers that are more likely to have that higher lifetime value, that higher quality, and that are potentially there to become those advocates of a brand? Yeah, I think it's quite tricky because I think, I think everybody wants to get to that point when they've got that really, you know, that single customer view. But the reality is, there's a lot of people that's still quite far away from that. So a lot of the, the ways that we work with our, our partners is like, what are, the, what are the tools that you've got? What are the conversations we can have as your partner to make sure we're targeting the right people? So for example, some of those early conversations are, what's, what's the product that if you sell that product, they are with you for life? And actually, therefore, being able to sell that product or bring in a customer who buys that product is much more valuable. So actually, um, as a partner, we can spend more money getting that type of customer in. Even if you haven't quite kind of knitted it all together on the back end yet, you know that that customer is going to be worth going after. Um, and just getting more of a view on the value of those customers and where to find them and matching them up with the product is, is probably a really good place to start for anyone who's kind of on that journey. And I think it's just, it's having that conversation with your acquisition team, whether that's in-house or through an agency and anything you've got on, on your customer data, who they are, how they shop, what products they buy, just share as much as you can in terms of trying to find that customer online. Thank you. Um, and yeah, Luke, you mentioned, obviously we've been running some experiments with Ness, I mentioned me on sharing some referral and advocacy insights to inform and enhance uh, paid social strategy for some brands. So it'd be great if you could tell the audience a little bit more about how that works and the impact that's had on enhancing the strategy as a whole um, but in particular with challenges such as rising acquisition costs and 
the negative impacts of iOS updates. Um, how, how have you found that work? Sure. So I think, um, you know, pre-iOS 14, lookalike audiences were a really good kind of source of high performance as part of your kind of meta pay social campaigns. iOS 14 came along and completely degraded the performance in those, in those audiences. And so, you know, we're left kind of scrabbling around looking for better data to use. And, you know, we had conversations that mentioned me about, like, could these mention me came to us and was like, is there a way to leverage these audiences? And we ran experiments, which you guys saw the results of earlier across Spoke and Seraphine, and they produced incredible results. So, like, higher click-through rates, higher conversion rates, lower CPAs. And this was data that was lying around in the past before, but you know, it's much better than pixel conversion data or revenue conversion data. And it's brought our lookalike audiences back to pre-iOS 14 um, performance. So if you guys aren't doing this, I recommend you start doing this tomorrow with your Mention Me data um, because it's, it's just a way to enrich your performance going forward. And I think in addition to the performance, this is something that we haven't tracked yet, but it looks like Mention Me are making really good moves towards being able to track is you know you, we can test the acquisition results of using that data, but what happens downstream to those customers go on to become referrers? Do they create more referrers? And it creates this beautiful virtuous circle of, of performance. And you know the, the true beauty here is that it's a, it's a scalable audience. And with any experiment, you know the next question is, can I scale it? And yes, you can. Yeah, absolutely. I think we, we were so excited when we saw some of the results with Spoke and Seraphine. Um, and as you mentioned, obviously, it's great impact on things like CPA um, and reducing, reducing costs and all that sort of thing. But also, like you say, those customers are then so much more valuable. We, we found through our reporting that, you know, referred customers have up to twice the lifetime value. They're then five times more likely to refer. So it's really that snowball effect that keeps giving. And I think what's great about it is the impact of that will never max out. Uh, like we're seeing with some other, um, you know, channels at the minute is, you know, the, the effectiveness of that kind of channel will only scale as your customer base does. So it's a great way to, to really push on that sustainable and scalable growth in particular. If we move now more onto um, the existing customer base then and how we're, how we're leveraging them and engaging with them in the best way. Um, one for you, Dave. So how, how do you think that brands can best identify who their best customers really are? Who are those advocates to make sure that they're really prioritizing them, double downing on them, and making sure that we're giving them the best experience to really be driving that customer-led growth in the long run? Sorry. Thank you. That's a, that's a great question, Kat. Um, I'm going to use an example, um, and it's, it's going to be a little exaggerated example, a bit, but it will make a point. Um, so we built a fantastic integration with, uh, with, with Mention Me, which is passing us so much more data than we had already. So eMasters is a platform. We ingest data. We lay, overlay AI on it to put people into cohorts in terms of where they sit in a buying life cycle. And then based upon the decisions on that, the platform will, will, will then segment and then execute across that, across, across multiple channels. Now, the more data we can bring in and the more information we can hold on a person, the better the, better the, platform, the, better the platform is and the, better, the, the more accurate the decision making can be. So one of the things when we, when we started working with, with, with the Mention Me guys was not just being able to understand customer lifetime value, but also, and we've talked about this this morning, what's the long tail of that with some of the advocates within here? So I'm going to use an example with my brand, right? So, and I'm going to pick on Brian. Um, and sorry, Brian, it's, it's a family show. It'll be fine. Anu put me up to it if you need to know that. But um, you buy from my brand, right? 
and you, you've bought a lot, you know, so I can see. You know, unfortunately, I think our marketing and our operations are slightly separated in that we're not seeing the right communications. Because I don't look at this, Brian, and let's be honest, you've returned pretty much everything you've ever bought. First off, as per Alex Timlin this morning, why is that? What was it? Size, fit, and color, I think, from the previous... There we go. There we, there we go. Right. Okay. So, so, so when we actually start to look at this, you know, we classified Brian in a cohort of being a gold, a gold, a gold client. You know, Brian gets our best discounts, the first things, you know, opportunity to do new events. But in reality, Brian, you're costing me money, right? Now, Emily, you've also bought for my brand. And you might not have spent quite as much as Brian, but what you have done is to refer you and you and you and you and you who've all gone on to make purchases. Now, well, whilst we can see Brian's customer lifetime value, what I can see from Emily is a much longer tail of that. And really, in terms of that extra, that extra um, extended lifetime value that Emily has bought through, through her advocates, that's immensely powerful. So, but poor Emily's sat as a bronze customer right now, and we're not treating her that well because she hasn't spent anywhere near as much as this guy is costing me money. Now, move forward. We've got the integration happening. We can now start to make decisions. So quick question for the audience. Who thinks Brian should be demoted? We should still look after him a little bit, and Noob does. And who thinks Emily? Noob's hand get raised, my colleagues. <laughs> and, and 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 who thinks Emily here should be promoted so that we're now starting to treat her completely differently because actually the real value that she's put behind this is enormous. And I think being able to do that and make those decisions because not only now can we put you on a different path through that segmentation and and you know our platform has prescriptive journeys that can be built. So it can all, we, essentially we can treat you as an individual, but at scale, but we can probably find, I bet there's some people in this audience here, i.e. the people you've already referred, who actually are also like you, who will then go on to carry on doing that. And we're able to then start to pick those people out and, tr and treat them differently. And I think that when I first saw that, when we talked about it, I was literally like, wow, if we could build that into the platform, this pump suddenly becomes so powerful. So that was one of the, that was one of the things that we've done. And you know, it's, been, it's, it's really starting to show you know, the true value of people, not just what we see on the tin. Sorry, Brian. Thank you. Thank you. Um, yeah, no, absolutely. I think that that's what we're seeing is that you know, your best customers aren't necessarily the ones that are buying the most. It's the ones that share your brand with their friend. Um, and I think it's prioritizing those customers. As, as he was saying, you know, there's just so much we can be doing with this, leveraging that customer base, driving that customer strategy. Um, and what's really exciting is brands aren't thinking like this right now. Most brands haven't got this data, they're not leveraging it. Um, and this is a really key way that you can be differentiating yourself in the market and how you're engaging your customers in the best way. Because right now, as as you're saying, you can't tell the difference if it's just based on purchase rate or repeat purchase rate, whatever that might be. So I guess that's the kind of focus on um, customers who are already advocates, but obviously they're not, not everyone's quite there yet. It takes time, it takes nurturing. So Andy, one for you. How, how can brands approach um, nurturing customers along their life cycle? So in the long run, they are advocates that are in a position to be sharing the brand to their friend and make sure that we're, we're giving them that best experience to get them there in the first place. Let me start first by explaining just, I think when people hear the word loyalty, they think, especially in the UK, club card, nectar, air miles, right? That's a transactional loyalty model. Loyalty, you have to remember, loyalty is an emotional response, right? It's a positive emotional response. So is advocacy, right? And it, there's a slow burn usually to build loyalty. And then advocacy could take a time depending on what it is. If this microphone was an ice cream cone, I might lick it and go, oh, this is awesome. You've got to try it. Right? So that's instant advocacy. 
but most people are thinking about longer things. So what we do, uh, so Oracle CrowdTwist is our loyalty solution. I always say loyalty because I hate the, the L word, but it, I call it loyalty with a twist because what it is, it's incentivizing people to engage with brands and rewarding them when they do. And then brands are, use our platform to drive that. And two of the best customer stories we have, I mean, we've got cool customers like Lego and Disney and Marvel, but the most fun ones I love to talk about because they're not your typical ones you would talk about in the, in the loyalty sector. One is Vitamix. Vitamix is a, is a blender that probably starts about $800, about 700 pounds. Really, really expensive blender. People get it for Christmas, or they buy one. For a month, they go gung-ho, and they make blenders. They, got, they make smoothies, and they say, I'm going to have a smoothie every day for breakfast. I'm going to lose weight and be fit. By February, it's up on the shelf. Right? So what they did is they built a program that incentivized people to visit the website of the app and see all the different ways you can use the blender. So when you stop making it at the end of January, we stop making all the, uh, all the smoothies, you can start making margaritas, you can make ice cream, you can make makeup, right? And they get people to feel really proud when somebody goes, is that one of those $800 blenders? They go, yeah, look, I can make salad dressing with it. You should get one, right? And so they make people feel proud and secure about that purchase. And then going even up another level, we've got a client called Sleep Number. So Sleep Number makes a, a mattress that starts at $8,000 and up. And it's, all, it's, it's connected on, with an app to your smartphone, and it tracks every single thing that happens in your bed at night. I'll pause for that. Every single thing that happens in your bed at night. When you think about the data that they have, I mean, GDPR just wouldn't work for that, right? But <laughs> unfortunately, that extra weight was the dog sleeping in the bed. So it wasn't anything exciting. But what they do is they get people that have dived into really the wellness culture. And they want to know if they felt great in the morning, what happened the night before. If they didn't feel so great, if they felt groggy, what happened the night before. And people get super excited about it. If you think about the first time you bought a Garmin or a Fitbit and you started really, really getting into it and tracking what's going on with your wellness, people enjoyed that. They enjoyed trying to make their, themselves more alert, more awake, you know, nicer to live with at home. And that made them passionate ambassadors for the brand. All of those were driven in the background by what we would call a loyalty platform. But in fact, it was in incentivizing people to engage and rewarding when they do. So that's what brands need to do because customer journeys aren't linear anymore. Like people come in from all over the place and you need, to, uh, you need to recognize that as a brand and be able to engage with the customer instantly. Yeah, absolutely. I think, and I think it's so important to understand where, where is that specific customer in their life cycle because I think something that we're always trying to avoid doing is just show a referral to everyone at any point with the same message. I think we really need to understand and segment the customer base on understanding, okay, where are they at in that journey? You know, we, we are now with our new product release, we've got um, AI backing up our systems. We've got a propensity to refer model where we're actually identifying which customers are likely to refer based on the data that we've collected. And so of course, referral is a fantastic way to be leveraging that advocacy and rewarding them for sharing the brand with their friends. But equally, there'll be lots of customers that, as Annie was saying, that they're not quite there yet. And that's absolutely fine. It's how can the brand then be leveraged them across that life cycle? So whether that is on the first purchase, suggesting they opt into a newsletter or um, you know, they engage and get a discount off their next order, what can we be doing to really think, prioritize their experience and make them at the point where they are those advocates? Then it is a fantastic way to be driving that customer-led growth. So I think that that's definitely an essential part there. Um, and obviously, Brian, I mean, I know that, so I tend to be about focusing about you know, building those one-to-one -one connections with customers through SMS. So tell us a little bit about the importance that you position on brands, diversifying the types of channels that they're communicating with their customers with um, and the impact that you've seen SMS have on building those relationships in a more intimate way. Thank you. Does this mean I'm not demoted anymore? Um, 
Yeah, no, it's a great question and one I think that comes up quite a bit. We were actually chatting about this uh, before going on. Um, when we started out about five years ago in the US, uh, SMS had been around for 20 years, but had very little adoption, you know, single digit, probably three or 4% on the brand side and very few, very little adoption on the consumer side. And, you know, when we'd have a lot of those initial conversations, the, the feedback was pretty common. Hey, this is a very personal channel. Is it going to feel spammy? Do people actually want to use this? And uh, the first couple of years of Attentive was just all about getting that initial adoption and kind of trying to build the channel in a way that um, we knew if we could tap into to mobile, because it is a very personal channel, um, that it could be a really powerful way for, for brands to communicate with the consumers. Um, as most people know, you have your phone with you. Most people like myself sleep right next to their phone. Uh, when you go take a break, you have your phone. It's with you next to your computer. When you go shopping at a store, you have it. And so um, there's all these different touch points when somebody's on their mobile device and mobile communication um, that you can use to both get somebody to opt in to communications, but then also to communicate with them. So, you know, it's uh, inherently it's a very personal channel. And so we kind of built uh, our platform with that in mind because of that. And, you know, I think what we've seen here in the, the UK, because we started working with a lot of our, our US brands who had big presences over here, uh, people like L'Oreal. Um, and, you know, the, I think the initial feedback or question was, well, hey, people don't really use SMS in the same way here as they do in the States. Uh, you know, it's WhatsApp, it's other channels. I'm like, well, do they use SMS? I'm like, yeah, like everyone has it. And I'm like, well, I, I think that's a, a benefit because it's even less cluttered. And if you can get people to opt in, they're really going to see it. Uh, and surprisingly, we actually see um, higher opt-in rates, higher engagement rates than we do in the U.S. Uh, and we actually had commissioned a study here before uh, we, we came to market. And, you know, I think only a third of people were doing S or had signed up for an SMS marketing channel. But the ones that had, 75% uh, were doing it with more than five brands, right? And that was with very few brands that are actually doing it. So, um, you know, I think once you know, we, we focus on that element. The other big element is like, what do people want from mobile? What does it make it different than other channels? The big thing is, is that it, it feels like it's a, a, it's a, a two-way communication, right? I think a lot of other ways that people or brands will communicate is kind of a one-to-many. Uh, and when you get a, a message, whether it's, you know, in WhatsApp or an SMS, it's usually you expect some sort of response. And so we focus a lot of that in the way that, obviously, I think the personalization front, um, like as Dave mentioned, there's Pulling in that data from, from other platforms partnerships is really important. But for us, a lot of it is making sure that channel feels very personalized, right? So if you get a response, either because it's automated or we have a concierge tool where people actually will respond within like a minute or two minutes to supplement your customer service team so they feel like they're actually chatting with the brand, that's where we get some of the kind of the most personal experiences for this channel. And that's, that is our big focus to kind of make it more, more personalized. And I guess um, this this is probably for both you and um, and Dave. I think how, how do you how would you recommend brands navigate? I think it's a balancing act of wanting to be front of mind, you know, wanting to get frequently in touch with customers. You don't want them to you know be be exploring or, or leaving the customer the, the brand. But equally, how do you balance that act of not oversending over you know crossing that line of actually getting a bit um, overwhelming for the customer? How how do you usually advise clients on on making sure they've got that balance right? Are you going to demote me again, or do I trust you? <laughs> you can go if you want. 
Um, I, I, I think that's a, that, that, that's a good question. And I'm not sure that there's one size fits all in this. And I think it's more about looking at, you know, the amount of touch points, what's being engaged with, where we're seeing people dropping off, which we need, means we really need to understand that consumer. I don't think people necessarily now, you know, remove themselves from the brand just because they get pushed too much because we've got cadence controls we can start to do that how do we prioritize those types of communications so that the most important ones are getting through and i don't just mean like the shipping communications or stuff like that That should be a totally separate channel but if we think about and this is actually quite an important piece because it leads on to a point i wanted to cover if we think about the importance of using advocacy in those communications, like if you wanted to sit and put a level of what's the most important thing to get through, well, for me, that's one of the top ones, right? Because we know that if I know you and you send me something or you're referred to in that, then I'm much more likely to engage by, you know, purchase, book, whatever it is. I think within that, it shows then that um, the important misconception sometimes is that is that using advocacy is only about acquisition, which is obviously really important, and that's our first touch point. And we've got some great examples where we've seen you know 10% uplifts on acquisition using just working with yourselves on joint clients. And that's like 13,000 contacts in three months for one brand, of which they're all high quality and everything else. That's important. We want to put those on the right cycle. But then thinking about the different points in a life cycle, it's as important to overlay the communications around advocacy at pe for people that are lapsing or, or have defected from the, or, de or, de or defected or have lapsed from the brand as it is at the, at the front end. So I think for me, it's more about looking at, you know, the types of communications we send, what's the priority, if stuff's going to drop off, you know, what, do I have a platform that puts the cadence controls in, can I put the control back in the consumer, but making sure that actually I'm still slightly in control because the most important ones these ones here, which I know have the most value, are still going to get through at the top level of that. And, you know, technology now makes all this, this stuff possible. I think it's more about thinking about, in the eyes of the consumer, how do I want to be engaged with what's important and, and, and looking at it that way. So. Uh, yeah, as I alluded to before, because mobile is such a personal channel, this is obviously a very core topic uh, to, to our platform. In fact, we usually start there. Um, and, you know, I, I think, you know, we try and do it in, in a variety of ways. Uh, one, I mean, I think in the past, you know, there was this whole idea around like a preference center and, and this idea that everyone's going to log in and go to a preference center. But in reality, if you annoy someone on the SMS or mobile channel, they're opting out right away. And so you, you're never even getting to that step. Uh, one will, you know, we do a lot of integrations. Um, and so, you know, excited to get. Uh, more data from platforms like Mention Me to understand how people like to communicate and their affinities. Uh, same with, with platforms uh, like Amarsis. And so, um, you know, if they really enjoy engaging with email and it makes more sense to, to send that message first and then send an, an SMS, um, if they're not engaging there, then, you know, we'd rather do that and, and adapt to where the consumer wants to, to communicate with the brand. Um, we also, and, and I think some of the speakers talked about this earlier, is that, you know, ask your consumer, right? The, the good example, um, I think, with the, the Zendesk um, and asking people, you know, why they either return things. What is so great about SMS as a channel, because it's so responsive, you can ask people their preferences, right? So you can infer it by their behavior. And we know when people, um, you know, like to engage with SMS in certain times of the day in certain areas, because we just have a lot of that data. Um, but you can also ask consumers, uh, what they want messages about, how they want to be messaged to. Uh, and so that's a really good way to do it. And then lastly, yeah, we have a bunch of playbooks. We typically will 
start out brands with a very kind of conservative approach and then based on their consumers and how they're reacting to it, then you can start layering on uh, more and more messaging. And so that way, you know, if for whatever reason, you may see higher opt-out rates with a certain type of brand, then we can quickly make adjustments uh, as they're growing their program. Great, thanks guys. Um, so I wanted to leave um, a few minutes at the end just to open up the conversation and open up questions for the audience. So is there anyone um, in the audience that have any questions for any of the panelists that we can pass the microphone to? Slightly blinded by the light, so. Is there anyone there? Yeah, okay. Oh yeah, here we go. <laughs> um, so this has been really interesting because I have a startup and a day job, and so I've been looking at it from two kind of perspectives. Um, I was wondering if anyone had any advice on how you do this kind of this kind of advocacy right at the beginning, like right at the beginning when you've not got a huge customer base, you've got we're first to market, so it's quite an unusual product. People are you know having to get into something new. How do you kind of start this right from scratch without being the annoying founder who's just in their email inbox like, hi, do you like the product? Do you have any tips on how you can do that in a way that's a bit more sophisticated? Um, so I think, I think you're in a really lucky position if you're a founder and it's really early days because the type of customers you're going to be after are going to be ones that are really loyal to the brand. And I think we speak to a lot of brands where just having that conversation with those customers is so incredibly important. And customers want to give their feedback. So I wouldn't be too worried about being, you know, the founder that gets harassing about people. Because I think customers really like that. And they, I, I suppose that the thing that we've noticed from working with a lot of smaller brands is to listen and then to do something. And if you're going to take that feedback and then change your business or change your product, to let that customer know. And I think that's, again, that's just harnessing, harnessing that advocacy and bringing that community together so i would say keep on doing what you're doing listen to them and then continue that conversation and showcase you're listening you're not just listening just for the sake of it uh, i just add to that i think i don't know what your brand is or does but if there's a way to incentivize people to do that advocacy right and not just a bribe you know not just free shipping or 15 percent off your next order but something that lets them in, in get involved with their friends so maybe it's a if it was a gym you know, take, bring two friends to the gym and you all get personal training for a month. Something where by bringing in your friends, you're getting rewarded, they're getting rewarded and they feel like they're doing it together. And if, it's, if, it's, if your brand is good enough to, to have an advocate in the first place, then people will do that because they feel like they're sharing it with their friends and everybody's winning. Yeah, 100%. I think, I think some of the clients that we work with as well, they've actually often um, show asking for feedback from the point of view of the founder or the CEO and asking for that. And I think that really pushes on what we're talking about of the purpose being, you want to give them the best experience possible. You want it to be an experience where they feel a great affinity with the brand and they really can prioritize that. So I think it's a great, it's a great thing to be asking for that feedback. Um, and obviously we had uh, Fred Reichheld speaking earlier about that NPS score. So it's really important to be capturing all that information and not, not skewing the numbers to look like it's high. If there is somewhere where, you know, the, the brand needs to improve or how can we improve that experience it's important that we're really upfront about that because that is the best way to be getting a customer base that's really you know loves being you know uh, with that brand and is likely to share it with their friends so yeah any other questions in the crowd hiya um um so obviously with i, I guess so we use mention me and we kind of measure ourselves on the 
way of, oh, how many people did we get to refer this month? And that's, that's big. For, it's like how many people shared and how many people got people into the business. Um, I guess the bit that I feel like we haven't done so well on is how do we um, kind of celebrate that fact and use them as use cases within the business to get other people referring, but also how do, how do we kind of celebrate that to make them feel more loyal? Can, do, should we use that more? I don't, I don't know, like through our different channels. Am I making much sense? I feel like I'm not making much sense. I'm getting a nod over here, but no. <laughs> no, that, that's a great question. So I, th I guess it's, the question is all about how can we be um, really rewarding and incentivizing and really treating those customers that are referring uh, that brand to a friend. Um, I think a key part, I guess, from the Mention Me point of view is we always want to be testing on incentives and um, you know what is actually going to resonate with them. We want to make sure that they we're encouraging them to do it again and again and really... I think when we look at the psychology of referral, people don't actually refer, you know, they refer when they know that there's a product or a service that genuinely is going to help out their friend. Um, and so putting it in front of them at the right moment, at the right time is, is essential. Um, but in terms of how to reward them better, I think it's how can we be using that segmentation strategy that Dave mentioned earlier. So once we know that they've referred three, four, five times, it's can we put them into a VIP scheme? Can we give them early access to content or deals or whatever it might be? I think having all that insight and actually, I guess the sky's the limit in terms of what you can be doing with that to actually inform the wider CX experience. So I think what's really exciting about this is with all this data you can be capturing through Mention Me, we want to see how that can impact the wider CX space. So whether that is when they call up the call center, having a certain experience, or yeah, I mean, how they're being engaged in email, loyalty, whatever it might be. Um, but yeah, does anyone else on the panel want to want to have a go at answering that as well? Sorry, thanks. Yeah, I I think you know just to capitalize on your on, on your point there, it's it really is the value exchange. The, the thing is now, technology has made this all easy. So whereas before, 90% of our time would have been figuring out how to make technology actually get to these people and do it, that's done. Like, what we need to think about is what is the right way of doing this? What's the right offer? How do I now treat this person, you know, totally as an individual to be, you know, thankful for their help in, build, in growing my brand and putting them on the right path, um, you know, at, you know at, and do that then at scale, you know, and if it is you know, bringing them up then and again on a, on, a, on a loyalty, you know, positioning because of what they've done. You know, I've got space now because I've bumped Brian. So, um, sorry, just kidding. Um, you know, that's my, that, might be one of, that might be one of those. Or if it's getting something as, you know, as, as we've just talked about here, which is, you know, if, if it's a friend referral, how well do I know that person? Is it, are we doing something with that person together? Because that's cementing that relationship. And I'm going to want to do that more and more. You know, all I'm saying is technology make this, it makes this easy. You don't need to spend 90% of your time figuring out how use the 90% of the time to figure out what and engage the right types of company around you with that creative way of doing it and, 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 and what that plan and value is. And the rest of it should be you know, fairly straightforward to actually execute on these days. So. If you think about, I mean, we'd all love to have a blue tick on Twitter and most of us won't get it, right? So to make people feel like that advocacy is actually going somewhere, I think you just think about TripAdvisor. You know, when you get that message from TripAdvisor and it tells you that 73 or 730 people found your review helpful, that makes you feel good. So find the way and design the way that when people are being your advocates, that they get that feedback that by being an advocate, it's not just their friend telling them it was useful, but there's a wider audience. They feel like a little bit for a minute they were an influencer. Great. Well, thanks so much for your time, everyone. Thanks to all the panelists. Um, hope you found that really useful. Um, and yeah, we'll, we'll all be around after the session. So if you want to understand any more about any of the integrations with our partners or how we can be using advocacy data to really 
inform how we're leveraging our customer base to drive that customer growth. Happy to answer any questions. So yeah, hope that was helpful. And um, yeah, enjoy the rest of the end of the day. Thanks for listening to this Advocacy Engineered presentation. To find out more about Mention Me and how our advocacy first approach could drive growth for your business, visit mention-me.com.